Hi, John. We just wanted to let you know that we're going in a new direction. We'll pick up the van sometime later this week. As I listened to that message, I was telling myself, I think I just got fired. I'd been nannying for a month for this family, and as far as I know, I was doing everything that they had asked of me. Well, just about everything. The mom wanted me to respond to her personal emails, pretending I was her. And when I asked her, well, how am I supposed to do that? She said, I don't know, just respond how I would respond. Keep in mind, I barely knew this lady. I had just met her. How in the world was I supposed to know how she would respond? So I didn't do that. The kids had bonded to their previous nanny, going so far as to even calling him dad. I suppose I didn't live up to the ex expectations a kid have of their previous nanny. I never did hear why they were going in a new direction, just that they were going into a new direction. They moved on, I moved on, life moved on. If you're the one who's being replaced, it's helpful to know why. If there's some kind of character flaw or something that's related to your performance, knowing why you've been let go helps you to improve yourself and helps you to do a better job next time. Sometimes, though, you just don't get any answers. Just, we're going in a new direction. If that's ever happened to you, you're not the first person that that's happened to, and you won't be the last either. And in a sense, the same thing happened to Samuel. We read about in 1 Samuel. Samuel is at the end of his ministry, the end of his tenure as judge of Israel. He's old and he's gray, and he has faithfully served the Lord and served the people. He has done his job well. Israel is transitioning from, to a new form of government, a new leadership. They would be governed by judges no longer. Instead, they would have a king, the king that they desired to have. And once the king had been anointed, Samuel asks the people to assess his leadership, saying, if anyone has any complaints or grudges against my leadership, speak up now. And it was silent. No one had any critiques about the way that he had done his job. He had done well, leading faithfully and honest, with honesty and integrity. And the people come to a consensus, you've done good. Samuel has given them nothing to complain about, which brings up the question then, so why? Why do they need to go in a new direction? Samuel gives them this parting message from 1 Samuel chapter 12. And as he does so, the people are left second-guessing themselves, asking, was this really what we should have done? I invite you to stand as I read the text. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 12. And stand if you are able as we read 1 Samuel 12, verses 6 through 25. Again, reading in Jesus' name. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron, and who brought your forefathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went to eat into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. 
But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jerubbaal, and Badan, and Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you, so that you lived in security. When you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who, re- who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your father's. Even now, take your stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call to the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. Then you will know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Then all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, so that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things, which cannot profit or deliver, because they are futile. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your truth here today. Speak to our hearts, Lord. May your word do what you have called it to do in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The Israelites had wanted a king. For all of their existence, they had never had one. The other nations did, though. They were set apart. They were different, and they were tired of it. Israel wanted a king. They didn't want to be different any longer. And that's about the only reason that they give for going in a new direction. It's not that this form of government is going to be better or more efficient. It's just that we want to be like everyone else. As Samuel continues his address, he leads the people to conclude that this new direction that they're going isn't as new as what they think. It's just one more facet of of what they had always been doing. Samuel starts to remind them in verse 6. Whether the Israelites would like to admit it or not, the leaders in the past had been chosen and given to them by the Lord. It wasn't as though Moses woke up one morning and said, you know what, I think I've got cousins and nieces and nephews that are slaves right now. I think I'm going to go and set them free. In fact, Moses tried to get out of letting his people go, of delivering his people. So the Lord raised up Moses and also raised up Aaron to bring them out. Samuel reminds them of that in verse 8, saying, The Lord sent Moses and Aaron 
who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. This is why they're in the promised land. It's because the Lord had delivered them and brought them here. The Lord brought them out of Egypt. It wasn't long before God's people had forgotten the Lord, though. At some point, worshiping the Lord had quit being practical. I mean, they're no longer slaves. They're already in the promised land. They have a place to call home. What use did they have for the Lord anymore? All of their needs have been met. Besides, they had new gods to worship, the gods that their neighbors worshipped. What's the difference if they just worship them as well? And so they forsook the Lord. And as promised, the Lord handed his people over to be oppressed. And his people remembered the Lord and they cried out to him, saying, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord. And we have served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. We have served these other gods, but now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and we will serve you. It's the same old story. But God did what he has always done. He raised up judges to deliver them and delivered his people. And that same story continues today. That same temptation exists for us today. We may not be bowing down to Baal and Asherah or to these other gods, but what are the gods of our culture? The gods that our culture says, give me your time, give me your energy, give me your money, give me your worship. Finding our self-worth and our value in how busy we are or in what we do. Becoming the best version of ourselves. Lining our pockets with profits. Seeing that our kids have the same or more opportunities that we had when we were kids. Or have we forsaken the Lord? The Israelites, as they're listening to Samuel, could only silently nod their heads in remembrance, saying, yes, this is true. This is true history. Samuel brings them up to speed to the present day, saying that the men who fought may still have had blisters from their swords, then fresh wounds from the most recent battle that they just fought in chapter 11. If you look back to a previous chapter, where do you see the elders of Jabesh looking for deliverance? To whom do they lift their eyes for help? You don't see them looking to the Lord, but rather looking to Saul. It's true that the Lord had used Saul to deliver them, but here they're looking to a man. They're looking specifically to their king. Their king would be the one who delivered them. Their king is standing before them as Samuel is addressing the crowd. And his comments cut through their joyous celebration of winning this victory. And it exposes what's really going on. Look at verse 12. Samuel says, When you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. Their demand for a king wasn't to simply fill a leadership void. It was a deliberate choice to replace the Lord as king with a flesh and bone savior who would lead them into battle, whom they could follow, whom they could look to for leadership, for guidance and direction. This so-called new direction where they were going to be going is no different than their forefathers, forsaking the Lord for want of another leader, for another king. We've read it over and over again so far as we've been reading through the Old Testament. The Lord granted their request, 
and gives to them the king that they are asking for. And here he was, Saul, the people's choice. And not only is he the people's choice, but he is also the Lord's anointed. Samuel reminds the people again how important it was to continue to fear and serve the Lord, even with a king. The king would not be above God's laws, but would also need to fear and serve the Lord. Look at what it says in verse 14 as God is addressing the congregation here through Samuel. He says, if you, talking to everyone gathered there, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. This king answered to a higher authority and this king was to fear and serve the Lord. And if this king were to say or decree something against what the Lord has commanded, the people were not to follow the king's decree. And in so doing, both the people and the king would fear and serve the Lord. But if the people would do as their fathers had done, if the people would rebel against the command of the Lord and instead just listen to what the king has commanded, and the Lord's hand would be against them. Samuel gives them a gentle reminder of the Lord's power in verses 17 and 18. Storms during harvest season weren't supposed to happen. Not only does it delay the harvest, they didn't have big equipment to go into the muddy fields, but it would delay the harvest. They couldn't harvest while it was raining. But it wasn't the right season for storms. As Samuel prays that the Lord would send thunder and rain, that's exactly what happened. And as it rained and thundered, the people shook and trembled as well. Because the storm wasn't just a display of God's power, though it certainly was. But it's also a testament to the wickedness of the people. These people who had rejected and exchanged the Lord God for a human king. Rejecting the Lord and looking elsewhere. It's a totally new direction for God's people, isn't it? Not really. It's the same old direction that they have always gone. It may have taken a different form this time, but the heart is still the same. The end goal is still the same. It is turning away from the Lord. They had deliberately turned away from him. Again, the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel to which they are going, thinking, once we have a king, then all of our needs will be met. We'll be just like everybody else, and it'll be so great. No one can say there's Israel without a king, but we can point and say there's our king. As they think that this light at the end of the tunnel is greener pastures, they realize that this light is only shedding light on their own wickedness and on their damning rejection of God. It wasn't the light that they were hoping for. As a, re as a realization of what they had done began to sink in, there's only one response that they can make. How are you supposed to handle an accusation when you have no alibi, when you have no other plea, when you have no chance, when all of the evidence continues to mount up in a damning decree against you that you are guilty? You realize there's no lie to get you out of this one. There's no bribe that can be accepted or would be accepted. And there's no other God that you can turn to to bail you out. Pleading ignorance doesn't get you off the hook either. There's only one thing that we can do, and that's to plead guilty. 
the Israelites suddenly realized that asking for a king was really a coup to dethrone the Lord God. The people see their fatal sin and they tell Samuel, Samuel, pray for us. But what are they supposed to do? Their king has already been anointed and installed. It's not like they can just dethrone the king and go back to the way it's been before. No, that's not the solution. The solution is the same as it has always been. Samuel offers them a word of comfort and a word of instruction which wouldn't have been new to their ears in verses 20 and 21. Do not fear. You have committed all this evil. You do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. Samuel says to them, do not fear. Yes, what you have done is wrong. What you have done is evil. Yes, you are guilty. So what do you do? Don't turn aside from following the Lord, but follow the Lord and serve him with all your heart. Even though the Israelites had done this treacherous thing, forsaking the Lord for some human leader, the Lord's grace hadn't run out on his people. That warning still stands to us today, still stands. To turn from the Lord is to turn aside from the things that cannot profit nor deliver you. And we know this, don't we? Intellectually, we know that there is salvation apart from no one else. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Christ alone. We know that there is only one God, and we are to worship Him and Him alone. We know this. And yet still, what is it that we are worshiping? What is it that we are pursuing with our time, with our energy, with our resources? Where are we going? What are we chasing? We still have so many other goals in our lives, so many other things to focus on. And slowly but surely, as we drift along through life, we find ourselves drifting away from the Lord, forsaking the Lord, and turning to these other gods, which Samuel says, and which we know in our hearts, these other gods that cannot deliver us. And we know enough not to call them gods. Intellectually, we know that they are not gods. But maybe we're deceived enough, just enough, to prevent us from calling them gods, but yet we still worship them as though they were gods. What is it that you want most in life? What is it that you are pursuing? What is it that you are chasing after? And the question, the diagnostic question that we have to ask is this, is it the Lord? Or is it something else? Now before we start defending ourselves and the goals that we're chasing after and explaining why we don't have a choice, but we have to chase after these things, let me ask you this. Have you ever been distracted by something on the side of the road as you're driving? Maybe it's a, a billboard that's off in the distance with fine print that you're trying to read. And all of a sudden you start reading this. And what happens to your car as you're looking off to the side? Without knowing it, without realizing it, your car starts to drift. You might still be in your lane, but slowly but surely you start to drift unless you are focusing on staying straight. It's a similar concept with following the Lord that Samuel is getting at here. Don't turn 
aside. It's only going to lead to your ruin. Now, this isn't to say that goals are evil. That's not the point here. It is good to have goals, and it's good to work towards something. But we need to be sure that our goals are in line with following the Lord. Getting distracted happens to us ever so slightly. Rarely is it a blatant 180-degree turn where we say enough is enough, and we turn and go in the opposite direction. It's just a little veering off course that leads us down a slippery path headed to destruction. We like to tell ourselves it's okay so long as we can still see that path that we're supposed to be on or at least see the way to get back to that path. We're only taking a little detour and yet eventually you drift further and further away. What happens if you're going in a direction you turn just the slightest off? At first it's okay, but then you get farther and farther and farther away until eventually you realize you don't know the way back and you think the way in which you're going is a way in which we ought to be going. We drift further away to a dream or an end goal that promises you life and happiness, that promises to profit and deliver you from the ho-hum of everyday life, but it cannot deliver When all of our efforts and all of our energy are geared towards pursuing an end goal rather than pursuing God, we're no different than these Israelites. And we aren't going in some new direction or uncharted territory, no. Instead, we are walking down the well-trodden path, distracting us from what matters most. And we do it without even thinking about it. That's the easy way, and that's the way our culture is pulling us. So what do we do when we realize that what we're chasing after is actually, truly, another God? Where do we turn when we realize that we've turned from serving the living God? What do we do when we can no longer hide from our wickedness? We turn back to the way. We confess our sin and we repent again and again and again. We turn back to the Lord and to his word, continuing to hear instruction in the good and right way, as Samuel says. The question comes, will he take us back? After the first time, after the second time, after the 490th time, will he take us back still? Listen to what Samuel says in verse 22. The Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name. Because the Lord has been, has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Notice here what Samuel says, what God says, why the Lord will not abandon his people. It's not because they mean well. It's not because deep down they're really actually good people. It isn't because of anything that we might do. But it's because of his great name. And because he is pleased to make a people for himself, and that people includes you. And that great name is tied to that name that we read about that is above every name, which is exactly how he makes a people for himself. God's word instructs us not to turn aside to the right or to the left, but to serve the Lord and to fear him, to have no other gods before him. And yet, we still are continually placing other gods before him, aren't we? We continue to stray and to wander, to do our own thing, to tell ourselves, it's okay, I can get back whenever I feel like it, whenever I want to. And it was for this reason, that before the foundation of the world had been set, 
that God decided that he would send his son, Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ, the author and creator and sustainer of life, comes, takes on flesh, and takes your place to be obedient to God, his Father, every step of the way. To be obedient for when you are not obedient. To obey when I fail. Jesus didn't turn aside even in the soul-crushing anguish that he was in on the cross. Even to his last breath, his goal remained the same. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Christ is there in your place that you might be forgiven. This sin of picking out a king wasn't irredeemable that these Israelites made. And God did provide a king for them. He anointed Saul. He has given them his anointed. He anointed David later on. But he would send another king. He would send another anointed. One who would be the Messiah or the Christ. Another way to translate that word anointed. And he would be the one who would deliver us once and for all. Not from the Philistines. Not from the Romans. Not from anything else, or any other world power, but from sin and death and the devil. Christ came to bring us victory and deliverance over these things. And he has done it for you, to call you back to himself, to place you back from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son. And so the instructions for Sam, from Samuel here at the end of the chapter are instructions for us as well. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. Part of that serving him in truth with all our heart is when we realize that we have left him, we have turned and forsaken him to confess that sin, to come back to him. As we consider what great things that he has done for you. He has died for you in your place and given you newness of life. And he has given to you all of his obedience and his righteousness that you might have life. But the chapter ends with a warning. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. Jesus offers his grace for the broken and repentant sinner, the one who acknowledges his sin and confesses. But the one who insists on his own wickedness, who insists on chasing after these other gods, the firm warning is given, you will be swept away. And so return again to the way, the truth, and the life. Worship Christ, worship God, and God alone. And see these other gods that we are pursuing for what they really are. Gods who can profit us nothing, and who only give us empty promises. And return again to the God who has been crucified in your place and in your stead, who has come to give you life and to give you freedom. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word and for its truth. Lord, as your word reveals to us that we have a tendency to go back to the old ways again and again, 
the ways where we turn our backs on you and turn towards something else. Lord, even if it's something as mild as a distraction. Lord, even if it's pursuing something that's inherently good that you have blessed us with. Lord, we pray that you would help us to pursue you. Help us to know, Lord, that you are the God who gives us happiness, who gives us value, who gives us worth, who gives us life, and you alone. That you are also the God who forgives us for when we go astray. Forgive us, Lord, for every one of our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for taking our place, for being obedient for when we fail to obey, for dying the death that we deserve, and, Lord, for rising again that we too might be brought to new life and for ascending into heaven to be our king and our king forever. Help us to submit to you in all things. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.